so we ended up in Phoenix after doing a bid on a bunch of cities. And I got together with conference planning committee and thanked a lot of people for being on it previously and said, your service is no longer needed. We need to go in a little bit different direction. Some of them stayed on, some of them didn't, but a lot of them have been on it for a long time. I handpicked a bunch of younger members at that point because I felt like there needed to be something else infused into the conferences. And the very first meeting with them in Phoenix, about a year before the 2014 event, we were talking about the schedule and we always start with the schedule. What's it going to look like? Because then you'll know how many sessions and everything else that comes from that. One of the things was on a Friday night of the event, it was always open. So the manufacturers would take people out for dinner, either on-site or off-site. And it was kind of one of those sacred cows that I was always told don't touch. And so I sat in the meeting and said, well, Friday night is open. And so one of the younger members asked the question, why? And I explained why. And a couple of them then spoke up and said, well, I hate that night because I don't get invited to a lot of those things. And so I ended up sitting and working in my hotel room. And the last one I went to that night really bothered me because I knew people were out doing things. And here I am working in my hotel room. And I thought to myself at that point, I never want the younger member to ever think that because that's the future. This is Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story, and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Wade Kaler, Executive Director of Food Service Consultants Society International, or FCSI Americas. Wade, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joanne. I really appreciate you having me on. Hey, so Wade, tell us about FCSI and then specifically FCSI Americas. FCSI is a mouthful. It's why we do the acronyms quite a bit on this one. (laughs) Food Service Consultant Society International takes a while to get out. It's a lot of adjectives. It is. (laughs) It is. (laughs) So I manage North and South America. So anybody that geographically resides or works within those geographic areas all the way from the tip of Canada to the tip of South America belongs to our division. We are a group of food service consultants throughout the world. FCSI is a global association with another office for Europe, Africa, and Middle East as a division, and then Asia Pacific as a division. And we all have different management companies that represent the three different divisions. I manage North and South America. They basically are commercial kitchen designers. They are commercial kitchen architects, if you will. Either an operator or an architect will hire an FCSI member to come in and say, here's the kitchen, and they'll give them the square or the rectangle or whatever the square footage may be. 
And inside that, then our consultants will then go in and design based on menus, based on flow of work, based on loading docks, based on all kinds of different factors, where the kitchen layout is going to take place. So they'll say the dishwasher goes here, the oven goes here, the prep station goes here and all that. But they go a little step further even and say, okay, so this dishwasher can handle this many dishes per hour for this many hours in a row. So they'll specify down to the model of this Hobart dishwasher model number XYZ will be best for this operation. And this is where it goes. Oh, and by the way, we also put in where the electrical, the mechanical, and the plumbing goes, dishwashing sinks, all of those things, storage, coolers, freezers, walk-ins, everything like that that has to do with the kitchen. And then most of our consultants will take care of all of that in addition to the point of sales systems that are going to be used that communicate with the kitchen staff. Sometimes they communicate with the cloud for offsite. And then some of our members are interior designers as well. So then they will do the front of the house, which is, you know, the dining area, the exposed cooking areas of that nature. And then the other consultants that we have within FCSI, we call management consultants. They do everything from, I've got chefs that are recipe development. You know, people will bring them in to help them develop new menu items. Or I've got people to help with franchising or people that help with, accounting or people that help with choosing the right vendor for your corporate location, a little bit of everything. If it has anything to do with commercial kitchens, they kind of dive into it. And when I say commercial kitchens, I literally mean anything. So our members take care of things as simple as a a mom and pop restaurant to a chain restaurant to a prison food service operation, which is a completely different ball game when it comes to designing than anything else or a cruise ship or stadium or convention center or anything of that nature, if it has anything to do with commercial kitchens, our members usually have some kind of say in it or designed it. So Wade, is it the case that if you're an FCSI member, do you specialize in hospitals or can they do everything? And how do you develop this expertise in figuring out the flow in a kitchen? Because it's so important. You have to know, I guess, like how many people are going to be in there and how much food is going to be served and how people are going to move around in that kitchen. If you talk to a lot of the consultants, they get their starts in a variety of ways. A decent number of them have gone to hospitality school somewhere like a Cornell or a Purdue or UNLV or somewhere in their area. There's others. We are actually getting ready to develop a new program within FCSI with uh, Western Kentucky University. It's going to help with food service consulting certificate program. We're very excited about. But the way they get to know that really is by doing. A lot of members are, we don't have a tremendous amount of recent college graduates that become food service consultants. Right. It really is one of those career things that you sort of have to go out and do, and then you come back and get into us. So a lot of people have been general managers of restaurants, or maybe they were a dietitian, maybe they've just been a restaurant owner, and then they get out of it and become a consultant. And if you talk to most consultants, they'll tell you that once they become a full-time consultant, regardless of their experience, it takes about a year or two before they really feel comfortable enough when they can go into any project. But we do have people that have their niches that they specialize in. So some firms specialize in healthcare, some will specialize in school and universities. And I've got a handful of them that do just a couple, actually, I should say, that do almost every stadium and convention center that you step foot in as an event planner. So 
a little bit of everything. And I would say the other interesting thing about FCSI is I've got about 400 members in North and South America. They're all independent fee-based consultants. So they don't sell any equipment. They don't take specification credits from manufacturers of the equipment. They can't get kickbacks or anything like that. They truly get a fee that's paid for by the architect or paid for by the operator. And that's how they make their living. And they have a very strong code of ethics they have to follow in order to remain an FCSI member. And that's probably the biggest one of them all is remaining independent and fee-based. Boy, that's got to be something that really recommends your members. When someone hires one of your members, they know that they're not picking a Hobart or a Thermidor because of a kickback, that it's really based on their needs. That's got to be a really huge advantage. It's something that we really promote to the end users only because you know that whatever our member is specifying in that instant is what's best for you. Right. Regardless of price, regardless of whether or not it's for sale on the floor, whether it's something that somebody feels like they need to sell because it's been around too long. So really it is just what's best. And sometimes it's what's best is what's serviceable quicker. So it really is a truly independent observation and recommendation versus any kind of financial incentive to do it. Wow. Hey, before we get into the things that FCSI is doing to thrive and reinvent itself, and it sounds like you are reinventing the organization, (laughs) how did you get to be executive director of this niche association? (laughs) Well, my first stint with FCSI was by complete luck or happenstance, I would say. I had moved to Louisville, Kentucky. My wife and I had just gotten married, and there wasn't a lot of opportunities for jobs where we lived in Illinois. I had family there. So I answered a want ad for an administrative assistant in the Louisville newspaper. But I looked at all the job descriptions inside the ad and it fit my background. At that point, I had worked in sales. I'd worked as a country club assistant manager and I'd worked in marketing. And so it just fit my background, I felt. And then when I got to the interview, I found out that the job was actually a director of administration instead of administrative assistant. Oh. And it was with an association management company. Back in the day, it was called Food Service Associates. Now it's FSA Group. And I just hit it off really well with the owner and the the executive director at the time and was lucky enough that I got the job and found out about this amazing career opportunity that I didn't know anything about at that time. And so I did that for a few years. And then due to some health issues with my father-in-law, we moved back to Illinois. I went to work for Illinois State University in their conference department because at that point, I loved doing event planning. I loved doing the association work, but there wasn't a lot of association work in Central Illinois at that point, but there was event planning on the college side. So I did that, recruited down the street to Illinois Wesleyan to become a director of conferences and ran their summer conference operations and then from there, went to Vanderbilt University and did the same thing and was their director of conferences at Vanderbilt before moving to Alabama with my wife, who got transferred to Birmingham with State Farm Insurance at the time. And I didn't have a job. So I started reaching out to everybody I'd ever come in contact with, which was included a lot of former FCSI people. Was very fortunate enough that one of the former members named Scott Legg out of Canada, was the executive director of Worldwide FCSI at the time. And just so happened, he was looking for somebody at that point to take over sales of their magazine and do event planning for worldwide conferences and then some PR work. Perfect for you. It was incredible. Incredible timing, you know, the right place, right time thing. But he didn't want to hire me, especially him being in Canada. So 
he asked if I'd be willing to start my own company and be a subcontractor. So I started my own company at that point. I worked with Scott. We did a great job with FCSI Worldwide. And in 2010, FCSI The Americas, who was being managed by a different management company at this point on the East Coast, had bankrupted them. And so when we took over, they asked us to take over their conference in Minneapolis that year. So we took it over and helped them out financially and everything. And at the end of that conference, which was a little tumultuous for the association, probably the best thing that ever happened to the FC side of the Americas, though, only because it got people in a room to talk and it needed to happen. But I looked at myself and thought, I can do this. Mm. I could run an association. Instead of just being the event planner or sales, I know I could do this. And so I put my name in the hat right after that conference and told the board at that point, I said, not only am I interested, I want to apply for the executive director role. And at that point, they said, well, if you want to do that, then maybe you should do the whole thing. Ah. And so I took over all the operations. I subcontracted out to Scott for a little bit to help me just get my feet wet and everything. And and then eventually all the staffing came within my own company. And ever since then, I ran with it. I love what I do. It was a completely different mentality though. And I wasn't quite ready for it. The first, probably the first conference we had when I was executive director, you know, you're used to being the person behind the scenes as the event planner. And now all of a sudden you're the guy at the podium. You're the guy that everybody wants to talk to and pull you in different directions. And that was my first big learning curve is changing roles. But now I absolutely love it. Boy, that's amazing. You know, when I hear about execs who make the leap from being maybe a deputy director or second in command or VP to the chief exec, it is a different mentality. So how do you develop those skills needed for becoming an ED? So where are you getting that knowledge and that training for that mindset? For me, it was a matter of, I kind of always had an entrepreneurial spirit inside me. So I think just naturally curious and doing a lot of research on the internet. I was attending AMCI. I was attending ASAE. Wherever I could go to absorb whatever I could absorb to be a better executive, but also a better staff member or a better boss. So all of those, and I still do those to this day. My wife is a researcher as well, corporate researcher. And so I think we both kind of have that bug of constantly reading, constantly trying to educate ourselves better to keep my mind growing instead of becoming stagnant. I'm a big proponent of change, mm. not change for change sakes, but change to make things better and not be stagnant at all. So I don't like things staying the same year after year after year. I mean, there's some policies, procedures that don't change, but you always be looking at those. And that's something that we're looking through right now in 2023, that everything in the FCSI world is being looked at from policies, procedures, to bylaws, to everything in between membership materials, membership categories, and everything's being reevaluated right now because I'm a big believer that after every five or seven years, things probably need to change to adapt to what's going on in the world. And after a pandemic, it's probably worth revisiting a whole lot more. I know I have a lot of clients that have said, we are not unchanged as a result of the pandemic. So let's not try to be right. the old organization that we were. And what have we learned? What do we keep? What do we shed? And what could we be? Yeah. So speaking of change, you're like reinventing a whole lot of stuff. So one of the things you did during the pandemic was you launched a podcast. So why a podcast and what's been the result? The podcast came out of the very first happy hour we did within the pandemic. 
a lot of associations and a lot of places were doing happy hours. And so we were very similar to a lot of others where every week we were doing happy hour at the same time. It was towards the end of the day. A lot of consultants were getting on and just talking about what was affecting their area, their neck of the woods, their operations. You know, this is before everything was really shut down, but was starting to shut down. And then different parts of the country were shutting down. And so everything was being affected. And what was happening is a lot of the people were coming on and you'd have 60, 70, 80 people on this podcast or this happy hour in Zoom. And I was getting private messages from members that knew me going, who is this person? Who is that person? Ah. And they were a consultant, another consultant in the room that was potentially talking at that point that I'm like, well, that person has been at other events. You should probably know who they are in my mind. I'm thinking that. And then I started thinking more about, you know, if this person who does know a lot of people within the association doesn't know this other consultant, there's something there for us to do. And so I said, let's just start a video podcast that's all about the consultant, what they do, where they came from, what their favorite thing is. But I don't want it to be just plain old podcast for me. I'm very lighthearted. I'm very self-deprecating. I like to have a lot of fun. So I thought, well, let's end every one of them with would you rather type questions and find out the personality of the person in addition to what they do and who they are. And so... We went and randomly chose 26 people out of the 400 consultants and did a video podcast with 26 of them to make up the first season, not really knowing what to expect and everything. But once it came out, we were doing it every week. During the pandemic, it was every week. I was just getting a lot of accolades from people like, oh, I didn't know this about this person or or some of the best compliments were people that had been members for 25, 30 years that when I was interviewing somebody else had been there for 25 or 30 years, they've seen each other at conferences, but they didn't even know about the person very well. And so learning new things about people. And of course, on the flip side, we've got the manufacturers of the association that are our corporate sponsors and everything else. You know, They're always trying to get in front of the consultant to get their product specified. And so they were loving it as well because they were finding out about the consultant and it gave them a little bit of a personality thing or a personal thing that they could then use when they called on them to try to promote their products or whatever it might be. So it kind of worked out very well. The other thing we did is a very conscious effort by the board to not sell any advertising or sponsorships for it. They wanted it to be pure. Uh. That way we could promote it and it didn't feel like an endorsement or anything of that nature. So We've kept it that way. We just finished filming our fifth year, fifth season. The first season was 26 episodes. I filmed all 26 episodes in two days. Crazy, man. Learned from that. Yeah, never do that again. I don't recommend it for anyone. I was mentally and physically exhausted after two days. I literally don't think I talked to anybody for about 48 hours. (laughs) I have a production company that I work with in Charlotte, North Carolina. I actually fly down to Carolina. We set up the studio. We film... 13 people over a two-day period now, and it's so much fun. And it's still so much fun three years later now, and we're over 100 episodes in and still just enjoying it like it was day one. For me as an executive director, it's served two things. One, it gets the membership out. It's also a marketing thing for us to use as to what our members do for a living. But two, selfishly, some of the members I've never spoken to. So for me, I'm getting to know the members a little bit more personally, a little bit more one-on-one time. And as you know, and anybody else who hosts a podcast, 
you've got the time before and after when you're actually filming. So then you get a chance to get feedback from them as far as what are you happy with FCSI? What are you not happy with FCSI? And so those type of things too. And so for us, it's been a huge bonus. It's still something everybody talks about. I'm still not comfortable behind the camera. Well, you do a great job because I've seen several of them. They're great. And we'll put a link in the show notes. Wade, it sounds like the podcast, unlike mine, which is an audio podcast, yours is video. It sounds like it's a way to showcase the members to each other and to the industry. And it's a way for you to go deep with the membership, kind of like networking with a twist. Yes. Yeah, it's exactly right. And we use it for marketing purposes with social media channels and then We've intentionally not done a lot of like little snippets yet. We're kind of going in a different direction after the next six months with that. And we're going to go a little deeper with them. And I'm also developing another show with FCSI right now Mm. that's going to talk about some other things our consultants do that promotes us as well. But yeah, it's just so much fun. And we do hear from the consultant side, there's also a member benefit out of it because now I can hand that video off to them. They can use it for their own marketing purposes. Yes, absolutely. And so then they use it on their own social channels. And so then it's free marketing for us because now they're promoting it. Yes. It's kind of a win-win-win for everybody. Except for the 48 hours when you can't talk to anyone. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I think I had one day last week where I interviewed three people. And I thought that was too much. You did 26 episodes in two days. You're a crazy guy. (laughs) Hey, Wade, you're doing other things to kind of reinvent the organization. Yeah. When we were prepping, you said that your conferences had become kind of boring and stale. So you're blowing them up too. So what are you doing there? I took over in 2010. 2012, we only do one every two years. Okay. So every two years, I've got to do an event that blows them away. It's going to live with them for two years. Yeah. So if you do a bad job, it lives with them for two years. If you do a great job, it lives with them for two years. 2012 was the first one where I was completely in charge, but I didn't choose the venue. I didn't choose a city and it was good, but it wasn't great. And I knew it. Hmm. So it's 14 was going to be the very first one where I was all mine, location, hotel, everything. So we ended up in Phoenix after doing a bid on a bunch of cities. And I got together with conference planning committee and thanked a lot of people for being on it previously and said, your service is no longer needed. We need to go in a little bit different direction. Some of them stayed on, some of them didn't, but a lot of them have been on it for a long time. I handpicked a bunch of younger members at that point because I felt like there needed to be something else infused into the conferences. And the very first meeting with them in Phoenix, about a year before the 2014 event, we are talking about the schedule and we always start with the schedule. What's it going to look like? Because then you'll know how many sessions and everything else that comes from that. One of the things was on a Friday night of the event, it was always open. So the manufacturers would take people out for dinner, either on-site or off-site. And it was kind of one of those sacred cows that I was always told don't touch. And so I sat in the meeting and said, well, Friday night is open. And so one of the younger members asked the question, why? Mm. And I explained why. And a couple of them spoke up and said, well, I hate that night because I don't get invited to a lot of those things. And so I ended up sitting and working in my hotel room. And the last one I went to, that night really bothered me because I knew people were out doing things. And here I am working in my hotel room. And I thought to myself at that point, I never want the younger member to ever think that because that's the future. 
And they weren't getting invited because they were younger, they were newer, they didn't have as established networks. Correct. And because maybe for the manufacturing members, their dance cards were full. Correct. They've been buying dinner for the same people for the last decade. Correct. So we decided that year we would have both available. Uh-huh. We'd have a little barbecue going on with a live band, and we did an inflatable bull riding thing. Uh-huh. So kind of brought some fun into it. We thought it would just be a side thing. Needless to say, it was not a side thing. It was packed. It was way more people than we anticipated. Nobody left to go out for dinner for the most part. So we were really kind of caught off guard with that one. But then I had a lot of the manufacturers coming up to me after that. And here I am thinking, I'm going to catch a lot of grief about the fact that we didn't have that open night. And it was exactly the opposite. Uh All the manufacturers were thanking us because they didn't have to go through and just choose those five or six consultants to take out for dinner anymore. And then know that they were going to be a, a, a mad dash to invite people as well, because some people that are very popular or very well known are getting invited by five or six manufacturers. So they loved it too. So we've never had an open night again since then. The other thing that we had was a formal banquet, awards banquet, that was four and a half hours where you couldn't talk to anybody but nine people. And apologies to anybody that does them along with a conference this is. I hate them. I think they're the most boring things I can go through because I'm not allowed to speak to anybody at my table. And even for that most part, I'm not allowed to speak to anybody most of the night because you'll get in trouble if you do. Because there's a program and you're talking over it. Right. Now, when it's just a standalone awards program, that's different for me. Those I can appreciate. It's the ones that are part of a conference because you come to a conference to get education and network. Right. So we decided in Phoenix as well, we were not going to do the banquet and we were just going to do a pool party instead. And that's exactly what we did. And we've never had a formal. And we, we still do the awards. We just do them before a keynote or before lunch or whatever. And I was worried about it feeling cheapened. Mm. by not having the pomp and circumstance behind it. But I've never had anybody complain to me since then that it is. And because of what happened in 14, we've set records of attendance for consultants every single year since then. Wow. And our sponsorships have, from that 2014 to 2022 conference, we just did a symposium this year, we've increased our sponsorship by almost double what it used to be. So we have more money to play with better events to put on, all because we just went back and I started planning events, two things. I plan events for the attendee from the time they register to the time they walk away home. I'm trying to plan it to be in their shoes instead of my shoes. If it's a little more complicated for me as a planner, so be it. I want them to have the experience, not me. And then also, I want them to have fun. They're working hard when they're home. This is their break. And maybe for some people... 80% of my members are small business owners, five people or less. So my conference might be the only one they go to the entire year. Uh So I want to give them an experience that they won't get anywhere else. For example, this year we rented out part of SeaWorld and we had the icebreaker roller coaster going. We had the beluga whale exhibit and there was only 400 people there. And I ended up with, out of my consultant membership, I had 48% of my membership at my event. Wow. So almost half. For us, that's huge. And it was also no line then to ride a roller coaster or no line and, you know, running around kids and stuff while they're at the exhibits for the live animals. So that type of an event where they get that for a small group that they don't normally get with that anywhere else, that's what I want to give them. And then they talk about it for two years. (laughs) 
Wow. It sounds like what you did is you went into conference planning with an open mind and asked some questions that maybe hadn't been asked in a long time. And then you've got this attitude of how can I create something special that they'll remember for the next two years? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely brilliant. Hey, so the pandemic also caused you to do some newer things related to your programming. You've got something called Biz Essentials Webinar Series. What's that? And why is that important? So back up a little bit. The pandemic shut everything down three weeks for our conference. Oh. Supposed to be in Austin, Texas in April of 2020. So at the last minute, we've got all the tchotchkes bought. I still have 20-some boxes of stuff if you'd like some. but I'll take some. <laughs> but I, we had all this stuff. It was ready to go. It was done. We had all these sessions and all these speakers planned. And we went to the consultant community and said, do you want us to do an online conference? Well, our consultants, you know, knock on wood, stayed very busy throughout the entire pandemic. It slowed down for about three or four months, but then it picked right back up where it left off way before the pandemic ended, if it's even ended, but way before everything started opening back up again. A lot of people took advantage of renovating during that time where yes, yes, if they're renovating while they're closed, well, the consultant's busy because they're renovating it with them. So we got into the point where what are we going to do with all these sessions? And so talking to conference planning and talking to some of the members, they didn't want to do an online program, like an online conference. They knew they wouldn't have the time to do it. And I certainly didn't want to do it if they're not going to be able to be a part of it. So he said, what if we pick out all the business side of things? So like, like I said before, 80% of our members are small business owners. So have five people or fewer in their offices. So we said, what if we pick out all the business part of things, how to run your business better? And we just did that monthly. We'll just create a new webinar series out of it, call it Biz Essentials because it's the business essentials of your firm. And so for the first year, we did it every month. And then when everybody started getting more busy and we started seeing attendance start to drop a little bit, then we said, okay, let's back off the monthly thing now. We've already finished all the ones we wanted to from our Austin conference anyway. And we started to go to quarterly. So we still to this day go quarterly where that webinar is going to be based on business operations of some sort, whether it's HR, whether it's new ways for new revenue, whatever it is, it's got to be, instead of consulting side of things, it's more about running your business. And people love it. And again, it's once a quarter, we record it, they actually get a CEU from it. So then it's on our website. So even if they're able to attend it in person, they can still go back and watch it and get the CEU for it later on. Yeah. And so they're able to really get the education that they need when they need it or when they have the time available. Right. And it sounds like as an association, you're really hitting all the points. You're helping them to run their businesses better. You're helping them to expand their network, but you're also helping to expose them to clients and potential clients. And speaking of which, you have to tell us about your annual project showcase because this I love. It started a while back ago before the pandemic started. It is a publication that we do once a year. All consultants put in their projects that they consider their best, if you will. It also has to be something that's not been publicly done before. So we don't want rehashed articles from other magazines. And they put it forward to be considered. We create a booklet, if you will. We call it a publication instead of a magazine because it's we use thicker paper. We use a different cover. And we choose somewhere between 10 to 15 projects out of it of varying degrees. So there's things that 
like I talked about all the different niches. There could be a stadium, there could be schools, there could be universities, there could be corporate headquarters. We try to do a very balanced book when it comes down to it. And then from that, we do the interviews and we publish blueprints in it and everything else. And then that is a marketing piece for us, essentially. We send that out to 3,000 architects. So gets in their hands. We send it out to a couple thousand operators. Mm. So it's a marketing piece for us. We've also started to take them out and use them as social media. So once a month, we publish something. And then later this year, we're going to debut a new video podcast where we are interviewing the consultant, the operator, and the architect, if available, to talk a little bit more about each one of those projects. Almost like an awards program, but it's not really an award. It's just an honor to get put into it. And we've got a great publishing partner based out of Chicago that we work with. And quite honestly, it's a little bit of a moneymaker. We do sell advertising in that publication. Very limited as the number of ads. If it makes a little bit of money for us, it's great. But if it can be a zero cost marketing piece, that's even better. Man, so what an honor to be showcased in this publication, but also I bet there's learning there for anybody who receives it because they're getting good ideas. Absolutely. The advertisers love it because it's going out. And because you're giving it the heft of a really nicely printed publication that sounds like you're also going to be doing a bunch of stuff on social, everybody wins. Yeah. Because they're learning and getting promoted. What a brilliant idea. And we're going to put it out too with the intent as well as another member benefit. Because that's what we're always looking for as association people is how can we increase member benefits? So another member benefit will be where they can take that podcast, now their project that they worked on, and their company then can use it for their own marketing piece. So basically, we're trying to help create marketing pieces for the small business owner that they probably couldn't go out and afford and do on their own. Right. Love it. Wow, Wade, you have shared some amazing things. I know my listeners are probably thinking, (laughs) oh my God, how's he doing all this? So, Wade, you've been doing all these amazing things to reimagine the organization. How's membership? It was a little tumultuous, like I said, in 2010 in Minneapolis. And and we had to get through some infighting amongst membership, which found out to be more about communication things than it was problems. And a lot of it had to do with bad bylaws, bad programs, bad policies. And so once we started doing all of that in 2011 and talk, we went out to everybody The president and I spent an enormous amount of time that first year as executive director and him being the president, newly president, that is, talking to the membership about what they wanted. And from that, we started changing a lot of things. And ever since 11, we've grown. The membership has grown every single year since then. So 12 years in a row, we've had a growth in membership. Now, that being said, in all fairness, it's not huge growth for us. We're a very niche organization. You have to be an independent, fee-based food service consultant to be a member. Getting in is not hard, but it's not the easiest. You have to qualify. And therefore, when I say growth, our growth might be 10 or 15 new members above and beyond what we had the year before. So we've gone from about 280, 290 to about 400 since 2011. That's amazing. It's still big, but it's not huge, but we'll never be huge because of who we are. Wow. Congratulations. I know that you're doing this strategic planning and once again, blowing up the organization. So please come back and let us know how it goes. I would love to, because I'm assuming it's going to go well, because I kind of look at everything that way anyway. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. 
Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye.